0: Hi, I'm Dr. Mitch Harlan, and welcome to the Truth Talks Podcast. Today, I'm joined by an amazing guest, but before I introduce them to you, I want to ask that you please like and subscribe below. That way, we can continue to bring you these incredible stories. And if you're already liked and subscribed to our channel, we thank you for all of your support. Hi, I'm Dr. Mitch Harlan, and welcome to the Truth Talks podcast. Hey, was that a good enough radio voice?
1: I think it was very good.
0: Thank you. I've been well, practicing that since you're coming on here. My show today, Jimmy Lakey. How are you? I'm well. How are you? You know, I'm, I'm killing it. Jimmy Lakey, entrepreneur, humanitarian, radio and television host, uh, former candidate for U.S. Congress. Ran for Congress. Congress.
1: that's before I had a little botomy that I got.
0: My... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I still went to therapy, and I ended that <laughs> political nonsense. Producer. TV show Frontier Taste Tales. That's kind of funny. You actually did a great job there. That was That's actually a fun amazing. show. It, it really looked cool.
1: Season one. Then COVID hit. We
0: didn't get to season two. We will though. It, it's going to happen. That's actually really entertaining. I, I really, I really Thank like you. it. So, man, I need to know this again. You have that. I can I guess I can't. Can I say, Rush? You just said it's like comparing you to Jesus or whatever. Yeah, be but careful of that, man. It was good. It's that, that reminiscent of that voice, I like it. Voice, maybe not the style, but the voice, right? Everybody thinks that's my radio
1: voice. I just talk weird. <laughs> I just talk that way <laughs> from Texas. Sometimes I enunciate, but that, that's, I guess, the big deal. I enunciate. What got you into radio? I have no clue. I'd, really, I had no clue. I was going to uh, undergrad, going to be a lawyer. I going to be going to be a lawyer. Thank God you went into radio. Uh, I wish I wouldn't. (laughs) I don't know. I was going to be a lawyer, and I didn't want to go to law school. And so, literally, I was kind of starting another business, and a guy that owned a radio station said, you have a nice voice. And I was like, sorry, I'm not. I thought it was one of those things, and (laughs) it wasn't. And sure enough, I ended up on the radio, and within (laughs) six weeks, I ended up walking into another – I was now fascinated with radio. So I walked into a station in Dallas – uh, back home, uh, where I was thinking maybe I'll move to Nashville or get in the music industry and some other businesses I'd started. And I was fascinated with radio, so I went to this radio station in Dallas and just to meet him and say, hey, what do you guys do? I just, I don't know, something had, my, something had been stirred up about radio. And the guy said, you have a really nice voice. <laughs> well, here we go again. And the next thing I know is for two weeks I was doing a morning show fill in in Dallas, Texas, didn't even know how to run a board, knew nothing about radio. <laughs> But it was just my, I wouldn't say it was my good looks, but it's my voice. <laughs> my radio. You know what they say? You got the face for radio? I know. It hurts my feelings <laughs> when you say that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't say that.
1: That's just the people that told me about this People story. have talked about this to you, and <laughs> how do you. How do you pick your topics? It's just when the mic opens, I go. No, I—I I, I, all day long you show prep to do a show. So I'm always on my computer, anybody that's around me always seem to have a computer open or a phone or something, and I'm hitting print, 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 print. And then I once I get back to my home office, I will sit down at the end of the day, put them in good stacks, and uh, that's kind of how we how we go. It's what's ever making the news, uh, whatever's making the news, what people may be talking about the water cooler or what I want them to talk about at the water cooler. And I have a philosophy on radio, sacred cows make good hamburgers. So <laughs> they're better that way. So if it's... We don't back. We don't back away. We pull no punches. When you
0: get super controversial, which is only controversial to one half usually, yeah. but when you get controversial, do you do you read the other stuff? I mean, do you try and reason in your mind how they could come up with the conclusions that they come up
1: with? Or he's yeah, like, no, yeah, I'm that's why I go to therapy because it uh, I short circuit my mind and go because I'm right. I, of course I think, you are. I, I, I'm on the right side, so I, I don't have to think too much. I mean. I I like personal freedom, personal (laughs) liberty, and they're wrong. So anything other than that, it's, well, why discuss it? Do you typically follow the
0: current whatever's rolling in the, in the news that week or whatever? Is that Usually, what you typically
1: do? It, it, it can vary. I mean, there's times that if I'm bored with politics, I'll talk about an experience. This morning, I talked about walking out of a drugstore and they were soliciting money for teen suicide. And it just bothered me that we live in a state now where teen suicide leads the nation. And I, was, I kind of talked about that, tied that into an education story, which wasn't front page news, but it was just my experience walking out of a Walgreens yesterday.
0: Yeah. I, I do that too. Like I'll, I'll hear something like that and it really triggers a thought process yeah. with me. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. Cause I mean, we've done shows on teen suicide and, and, uh, same thing, you know, it happened to somebody I knew. I'm like, man, we got to run that story so people can really yeah. hear this and at least get a different perspective. What's your drive? What's your mission?
1: Make money. Now, <laughs> <laughs> radio in this day and age, you don't, it's not that way. Used to be in the big days. Yeah. Used to be, you know, I, if I can make a difference, persuade a few people, raise my son right, uh, make a difference. This is kind of where you were going earlier. This is my show. You've got to hold on. Oh, okay. I
0: don't come to your studio and, and tell the Because I didn't invite you. I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> you don't go there yet. I got, okay. I, okay. I, I was
1: setting you up, man. <laughs> All right.
0: Let's do that. Let's no, let's this. not. Uh, let's, let's not. No, let's let's, let's keep going. All right. Let's keep going. So one of the things about being a talk show host... Um, you get a lot of exposure. And I want to know kind of how you parlayed that into the, into the show that you
1: did. How did that all happen? Uh, the, the television show? Yeah. The per- executive producer of Frontier Taste and Tales was my first – I was doing music radio. And a guy across town – I moved to Denver. A station moved to – I literally have been in radio six weeks. And I filled in in Dallas. And then two weeks later, I got a phone call. You want your own morning show in Denver. I mean, it was just a snowball fast track. It literally, had been six weeks in radio. I'm like, Denver? I never thought of moving to Denver. And I got a, my own morning show, music show in Denver, and so I was the morning DJ. And the guy across town for about two years called me up from a talk station that I actually listened to because I like talk radio and said, have you ever done talk radio? And I said, nope. He goes, well, you talk too much for music radio. That's for darn sure. <laughs> And that, that was true. I always got in trouble because I'm like, are we supposed to play a song? I, I, I scratched the tunes. I have a few things to say. So that was my music career. And he brought me on to the staff of that talk station. And all of a sudden, I am a 27, 28-year-old kid, spiky, Billy Idol hair, piercings, and I'm doing conservative talk radio in Morning Drive in Denver. And we'd I'd show up to an event, and the little old ladies, the little blue hairs that love me, they love me. Hello all my blue-haired <laughs> fans. They love me. They they would show up, where's Jimmy? And it would be me. They're like, oh, my God, it's <laughs> my grandson. They had no clue that I, I didn't fit the demographic because it was my, my voice. Yeah. And so I did talk radio. That was my producer, or not my producer, my program director. And he moved away to Hawaii, and I lost track of him. And a handful of years right before... Uh, 2019, got a, phone, a, a, a message on Facebook. Hey, Jimmy, it's Jim. And he said, I'm back from the dead, meaning, I'm hello, I'm resurrected. <laughs> and he said, I have an idea. I want to run by you. And no joke, here's how he came up with the idea, connected 20 years later, that now we're going to do a television show that he's producing. It's supposed to be a, a pilot for one of the big Food Network type shows. Not necessarily. I don't want to infringe on a trademark, but you know what I'm saying. Right. One of those big networks. <laughs> it was a pilot for them that <laughs> we were presenting to them. And I said, how did you re- even remember me? He said, I had a host picked out for the show. And that host said, never mind. I'm not going to do it for a variety of reasons. And he says, we were in panic because we had the film crew coming together to film. They are like going to film the next week. He said, we had the, the film crew ready to go. And I said, well, what made you think of me? He says, 20 years ago, after I left the radio station, so-and-so gave me one of your bobbleheads because I had my own bobblehead. <laughs> And they gave me one of your bobbleheads, and I was thinking, oh, God, I don't have a host for the show. And he says, I look up, and no joke, your bobblehead was going. (laughs) And I'm on a teleconference call, and everybody said, do you have a host? We're filming like a week, week and a half. He goes, I think I know a guy. And he called me up out of the blue within five, six days. I was... Headed to film, and we filmed the pilot and uh, filmed a full season, and they still like me. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. You know, everybody, that's, that's what's cool
0: about everybody on this planet. Like, everybody's got a story. But then there's just certain people that have these real flavorful stories, and it almost seems like you kind of draw that in, right? Let, I want to transition then right now because it's a flavorful story. Let's go because this is the, Oop! I didn't see that one yep. coming. Tell us about your son.
1: Where do you want to start? <laughs> I want to
0: start from the top. I've read it all, top. but I want right. the listeners to hear it from your, your voice. All right.
1: I'm uh, doing radio, minding my own merry little business, and I get asked by the church that I'm attending at the time if I wanted to be a chaperone on a college group mission trip. And I said, sure, I'll do that. And we had always talked about adopting a, a child overseas and never had, and so I just decided... Let's figure it out, and through a course of event and connections in Rwanda, where we were leading this trip to, uh, saw a photo of a little boy and immediately said, that's him. He was the only kid of all the photos they sent that was not staring at the camera, going like this, (laughs) smiling. He was crying. I thought he had a bum leg. It's the way he was standing, finger in his mouth. I went, that's my son, and went over there, uh, led the mission trip, or helped lead the mission trip, and thought going to get to bring the kiddo home, Needed one signature, one signature, because it was a private adoption. They didn't recognize agencies in Rwanda. So having to work it out all by myself and uh, needed one signature. Couldn't get it, couldn't get it, couldn't get it. Came back without my son. Kept working it, kept working it, kept working it. Everybody thought it was crazy. And I'd said, you know what, even if I don't get the kiddo, I'm going to get him. I will get him. But I still got to take care of all the rest of the kids. I said, I don't ever want my son to be in my arms looking at a photo and go, daddy, what happened to those other kids? Because a lot of people, and I don't fault or judge, they adopt internationally and it's like, get the heck out of Dodge and move on. And I didn't want him to go, what happened to those kids? And me say, I don't know. I wanted to say, well, that kid's here, that kid's here. And so I started raising a few funds for those kids. And I called it my orphan project is what I called it. And someone said, "You gotta be a better brander than that." And I said, "Well, I don't even not even here." And I said, "Well, I'm going to go back." And I said, "I said said, I'm making a promise to my son." They said, "Rivers Promise," and that's his name. Okay, so it started my organization, Rivers Promise. Went back to Rwanda about a year and two months later from their first trip, and I said, "I'm just going to stay here until I either walk out of here with the kid or." I'm going to have to go through some paperwork to undo everything I had done there because he was adopted. I just couldn't leave the country. It was a crazy mess. So I went over there and got the paper signed and came home. There's a bunch of stories in between on that two-week trip. But that was a, it was a two-week trip turned into about a three- or four-week trip.
0: Did you I get to see that.
1: him the first time you were there? First time I was there, held him. And, and, so and he had no clue. No clue. No one even in the orphanage knew. The, the bishop that oversaw that church. All, most of the orphanages there were part of churches. And so the bishop that oversaw the church well above the local staff, he was the bishop over the area, uh, he knew. He was our only contact because they didn't want him to know or other children to know because it would cause jealousy and things yeah. like that. So he he had no clue until the day I walked in with the signature and carried him out of the orphanage. What, what do you recall about him what, when, you, when you get him home? How, how was that transition for him? He, he was fantastic, actually. He was quiet, much, and I'm not. <laughs> he, <laughs> you don't say. He, I'm not. I'm not. He's, he's very quiet. He's a very uh, sweet little kid, but I remember one of the most meaningful parts of the transition. So here I am being dad, and I don't know if he understands me. I, we leave Rwanda and have to stop in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia to process some more paperwork at a U.S. embassy, a central U.S. embassy. So we go to Addis Ababa. He and I are in a hotel, the Hilton Hotel in Addis Ababa. Goats being herded down the street. It was totally different than Rwanda. And he doesn't understand a word that I say, and I don't understand a word he says. <laughs> I have a sheet of paper that's phonetics of um, if he looked at me and said, Kuituma, Kuituma, that meant I have to poop. Yeah. And I, he'd say that, and I'm like, oh, okay, I got gotcha. <laughs> If he would ever look at me and say, cuñada, that means I got to pee. Uh, if I told him Ichata, that meant sat down. If I said dagakunda, that meant I love you. That's how we commute. And I would look it up. I'd hear him say something. I'm like, <laughs> and occasionally he'd say something, does not compute, does not compute. <laughs> I have no clue, kid. Try again. And I'd just go through the list. Kunyata? Kuituma? <laughs> ichada. I, I just try to pick and it. It's just you and him. Just me and him. Just me and him. And he had been taught at the, where the Addis Ababa Hilton, never forget it, in Ethiopia. And there was a big swimming pool. And I think he had been taught in the orphanage, they had been t- taught them, don't go near the water. The little kid, stay away from the little lake, the little pond there. Don't go, you'll drown. So when I got him there, we're walking the grounds. It's kind of a you know, park kind of through the hotel property. And he stops, freezes. And I have his hand, and he won't move. He's dragging his heels. He can't go by the swimming pool. He had never seen a swimming pool in his life. He just thought, that's the water, and I'm not supposed to go by it. So I finally, I don't know what, (laughs) got him to go past the water. I took him to the little playground. Every kid in America knows what a playground is. He didn't know. I do what? I, I climbed it. I mean, it's just the things that even in Ethiopia that he saw were different. But the language barrier was the most interesting because somehow we made it. We made it to America. And one day, he'd been here about a week or two. And the first thing I did, went to Toys R Us to try to find toys that spoke English. <laughs> I figured it figured out, you know, pull the thing, <laughs> horse, <laughs> I guess a bad horse noise. Or a move. That was, it was a bad so horse noise. We're working that. Can we overdub that and you know, put in a real horse noise there? Um, so I, tr- I just find it, tried to find him toys that spoke English to him. And I figured yeah. that's a good way to learn. So, and I also, he had not really seen television. Very ever, and so he's fascinated. So I put it on PBS, and dear Lord, we watched Barney, we watched Backyard Against, all these shows that were on at the time, and they were great ways for him to learn. So one day, he's in the back seat of my car, I'm going to my post office box, and I'm trying to kind of keep him awake so I don't have to carry him up for his nap. And I start kind of singing to him, and I sing the Barney song, and I say, I love River, and no joke. He stopped and he goes. I love Daddy. <laughs> I lost it. <laughs> he heard me. He understands me. It was. Be- I had to pull over. I was. I was. I was a wreck. I'm like, oh. It, it took a couple of weeks, and he sang right back to me. And at that point, I said, Now he understands me. So now, huh, no more excuses, son. So you know, just just uh, this isn't even for the guests. This is just for me.
0: Like, was there any moment that he? That, I mean, I'm sitting there trying to picture myself as an orphan. This guy who's a different color than me, big guy, right? You're a little kid.
1: Was there any hesitation? Mm -mm. No, they all knew me because I had been to the orphanage so often, and they all knew me. So when I would come down the trail, and I was there for two weeks before I ever left with them, and I'd come down the trail, and I had photos. The kids, we called it Guantanamo because the kids were (laughs) like a prison. They'd stand at the chain link fence, and they would see me, and... I, had, I was later, once they knew I had adopted, I, my nickname is Papa Kazungu. <laughs> if you go to Africa and you're a Mazungu, that means you're a white guy. Yeah. And a white guy means anything that's not black, not yeah. African. So if you're Asian, you're a Mazungu. Everybody's a Mazungu if you're not African. Right. And so my, my son's nickname at the orphanage was Kazungu, which means almost white and almost black. And I said, how did he get that name? And they said, once you came to adopt him, we realized, oh, that's who he was talking about. And no, no joke, he would tell the mama at the orphanage, she would say, River, th- he's three. The boys take your ball. We only have one ball. You don't fight. The other boys fight. He, even at three, he had no clue. He would say, one day, my daddy will come for me. A man will come. I will go. I will." They're like, we called him Kazungu because he didn't fight like he was desperate. And they said, we always think he thinks he will be rich one day and have many balls. He... <laughs> He was totally different than the, the rest of the kids, and so I would come down the sidewalk, and they'd all stand at the Guantanamo fence, the chain link, and they would see me we We're kind of the bottom of a hill. I'd taxi, would, or my driver would let me off at the top of the hill, and here I'd come trucking down with my little white hat on, and I'd come <laughs> trying not to slide down the hill in my shoes, and I'd, all the kids would hear me as soon as they did Papa Kazungu, Papa Kazungu, Papa Cazongu. And they would just riot at the fence and trying to get over there, and I'd come in. and So they all knew me. So when I showed up, I think he was a little shocked. He was three, three and a half. Yeah. A little shocked that he was leaving with me, but it wasn't like I was a total stranger. I'd been playing with him. having, I'd go to the orphanage for weeks while I was there.
0: Well, what was his conditions like there? I mean, obviously it's Guantanamo, but were, <laughs> were, they pretty, were they pretty tough conditions?
1: Not as bad as some, but they were not great. Uh, one of the reasons I decided to help was because the kids were dressed, I guess, decently, but you know, no, 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 it wasn't a fashion show, but they were they were clothed. And I've been to other places in Africa through a charity where literally their kids are naked, yeah. or a, a leaf or something. So they were actually clothed. And I asked there because um, again, I was leading a missions trip there, but I was actually scouting on <laughs> my son. Um, I asked the bishop there I, uh, and the pastors, I said, "What is one need you have here?" And I thought they were going to say food. And I thought I was going to run up the hill, buy a bag of rice and beans, you know, get them a couple of chickens and be done with it. And they looked and didn't even hesitate. And this is, this is what started my mission uh, to start River's Promise. They said, they said, education. And I said, education? I said, that's your biggest need. He says, he says, look at them. They have decent clothes. He says, we feed them. Not enough, but they're, they're not starving. He said, but they will never break the, po- the, the bond of poverty without education. I can't send them all to school. Boom, there's my mission. And it, I said, okay. So I went back, and that's when I started Jimmy's Orphan Fund, yeah, right. <laughs> his children's fund, and decided I would make sure that all those kids at the orphanage, after I got my son, had the opportunity to go to school. And that's how it all started. Man, what a great
0: story. Like, yeah, if, if people just look you up on the talk radio...
1: Yeah. It's not what you expect. Yeah. You should have seen it when I uh, ran for Congress. <laughs> and in Congress, you, when you run for Congress, you get name, they call you a few names. And if they're not true, they try to make them true. Right. And one of the things that whether you're on this side or this side, they like to call you, oh, he's a racist. He's a big... I, then they'd see the family photo and go, well, maybe, <laughs> hmm, how does that work? And, what else can we get him on? And one time I had this uh, thing I'd said on the radio, and they were trying to come after me. And um, my producer at the time uh, said... Uh, Jimmy doesn't have a statement on that because he's in Africa taking care of widows and orphans. <laughs> <laughs> that diffused that problem as well. But the f- cool thing is, a lot of the, all those kids, as a matter of fact, just this past week, a kid that was at the orphanage, he was older than my son. He was probably 10, which makes him, he's probably in his 20s now. A couple of months ago, he found me on social media, middle of Africa, I remembered my name because he was probably 10 at the time, remembered my name, g- found me on social media told me a story, I remembered him, and I knew exactly who he was. Uh, He was having a tough time, because he he never had a biological family, never, kind of an adoptive family that took care of him, because we helped close the orphanage. He was kind of wandering around homeless, and I said, what do you need? And he told me what he wanted, and I I sent 100 bucks and sent him to driving school. He finished his driving test, so he had a job as a driver. So it's been 10, 12 years since I first met that kid, and I still send him to school. And with COVID, they just had another shutdown in Rwanda. Yeah. And he messaged me, and it's really sad, and they speak broken English. Uh, he put emojis of a, of a kid crying. And this is a 22-year-old, strapping, young, good-looking African guy. And, he, and he, they always call me Daddy. I don't know if they know the abbreviation, but it's, yeah. it's very little boyish. But it's Daddy, I'm so hungry. Can you help me? He had no food. So I rushed off and called my guys and said, check it out because I have a team over there that works with us. And I said, see what the need is. And they said, yeah, he's he's in a bad situation. We sent 50 bucks, changed his life, and he's sent me every day, thank you again, thank you, I'm eating again. Yeah. He's just wait. He got a job. They wouldn't let him work, and there's no social safety net. So I've known that kid since he was eight years old, nine years old, and we're still helping him when he needs it. Here's what I want to know. River is
0: in this situation. He comes over here. Was it just like – Oh, my God! Well, did you fly into New York, by chance, when you were coming
1: fly, flew I uh, left Rwanda, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. I remember it. And then the last minute, I have to add a kid onto my reservation. And until you hit America, he's traveling under a Rwandan passport, so they couldn't even say his name, <laughs> his Rwandan <laughs> pronunciations right. of the name. I had the American eyes. Overnight, couldn't speak each other's language, leave Addis Ababa land in rome for a fuel a fuel up but we can't even get off the plane and he can't speak english and i can't we land in rome and we don't understand the flight attendants no one we were we were the blind leading the blind in rome and then we went rome to washington dulles and landed at washington dulles and i finally first stop i needed to get some food in him besides airline food because that was not his native taste buds yeah so i found a banana at a Starbucks. And I got him a banana, and and at that time we had a house in the Bay Area, uh, in California. So from Washington Dulles flew across uh, to San Francisco. Funny story: at the airport, the flight is delayed, leaving Washington Dulles across the continent to go to San Francisco. He's bored. He's now been on a plane way too long. We don't speak. Each- I-, I bought him at the gift shop in Ethiopia a knockoff. John Deere tractor to play with because I didn't travel with toys I wasn't prepared. So I found a, I found a knockoff toy in Ethiopia. He's playing with it and doing that thing. And he's on the floor, you know, because we booked the flight last minute. He we're in the very back of the plane. And I'm just trying to keep him happy and not have a meltdown myself. And he's on the floor in the back of the, the nah, row next row to the back and he's down the floor and I know people judge me, the floor is dirty. Get it. Understand that. But the one flight attendant comes by. And she goes, sir, that floor is really nasty. I wouldn't let him down there. And I went, thank you. And then the next flight attendant came and said, sir, just judging the situation, I'm guessing that floor is maybe clean from where. And I said, ma'am, he's played him far worse than this, and he has an immune system. And so he played his truck, and we flew across, had a banana. You weren't trying to plug anything, were you? Well, you know. <laughs>
0: Always a motive, baby. I love it. The immune so, system. Uh, so, <laughs> our next segment is about the immune system. Vaccinate or don't vaccinate. We do have an immune system here. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so tell me, he, 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 you get him home, right? And cultural shock has
1: to be. You know, he was so young, I don't think it was. What, the just, went thing, the just went with the flow. It just went with the flow. You know, And he doesn't have any memories of this. He was three, three and a half, so he doesn't remember. Um, we lived in a... Well, we lived in a nice area in uh, San Francisco. And downstairs the next day, and this is probably going to get cut out, probably it should be. <laughs> downstairs the next day, there was a car show on the street that we lived on. And the car show, it was Lamborghinis and Ferraris, and there was an armed guard in front of a Gucci store. I mean, I'm like, dear goodness, thank God he doesn't remember this, because then he would have to go to therapy. But he had walked through the parking lot, the gated parking lot. And all he, he didn't know he didn't know brand names of cars, he didn't care. he just knew they were cars. and the culture shock for him was he had walked by all the cars and some of them were nice. don't touch them, don't touch them. Yeah. <laughs> don't touch them <laughs> Daddy's gonna have to wash dishes again. <laughs> he wants to touch them and he's going motocar, 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 motocar. Moto every car he had to point at it and go moto car, motocar, motor car, moto car. Moto car. Dear, we never could get through a parking lot. It <laughs> took us forever. It took a few days for him to not want to, point. We finally got him to not touch it.
0: Not, not that real fancy yeah, one. Don't, don't touch, touch that
1: one. Uh, dude, don't do that. And BB is no. BB. 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 And i a say, BB. Don't touch it. D- does, he, does he hold on to any of the language? No. I wish he did. Save me yeah. money on interpreters so I get <laughs> over there.
0: <laughs> I think that would be interesting uh, for you to learn that one. You know?
1: I know enough to be dangerous. I call it, I call it street cure Yeah. You know, I, I know how to ask where the toilet's at. You see, right. toilet? And they go, eh, so. I, That's I'm, the can,
0: universal language. Yeah,
1: and I can tell, <laughs> I can tell total strangers I love them, Daka <laughs> Kunda. Sometimes it's frowned upon. That's those restraining orders we were talking about earlier. Man, no,
0: yeah, those yeah. are tough sometimes, I, man.
1: I can tell people I have to poop, too. I mean, <laughs> walk, I can walk down, Kuituma, Kuituma. I do that. It's, I mean, I, I can speak a little bit.
0: <laughs> so where do, where do you go now? I mean, uh, he's, he's a grown man. This kid, this, this kid is stacked.
1: Yeah. 16, going on 17, and 18, 19, 20. Yeah. Gets his driver's license next week. Oh, dear God. <laughs> now, has he ever been back? He's been back two or three times with me. Well, and tell me, tell me what he thinks about that. His first time back uh, was about third grade, uh, fourth grade. And he, I said, we're going to go back, but you're going to give back when you go. And I said, what do you want to do? He said, and he loves shoes, always loves shoes. And so he said, I'm going to give shoes away. So, okay. So he helped raise the money, and I helped him as well. And he raised the money to buy 100 pairs of shoes. And we went to a new village where his orphanage, we found a lot of people at the orphanage, but we had moved the orphanage away, and the kids had gone to mostly adoptive homes. So we're in a new area he had never been to. I said, these people desperately need shoes. These are for kids are naked, and then we get them clothes, but they still don't have shoes. And so we gave away 100 pairs of shoes, uh, that he pretty much raised the money for but the cool thing on that trip. he just wanted to see dad. Show me where I was he's third grade Show me where I was found and I think that's what's so important as an adoptive parent not as a guy that is a humanitarian and uh, Does all this it was interesting to see because I know when I take him back to Texas I say son, that's where I went to elementary school, right? That's where I went to middle school and I know he's going I don't really care, <laughs> but I care And I realized on that trip it was very important for him to have roots. Yeah. And for him to... He kept saying, Dad, make sure I want to see where I was found at. And he'd ask. And I'd take him there, and I have a photo. He posed for a photo. He was found in a ditch in a rainstorm at 11 o'clock at night with barely any clothes on. They thought he was going to die. The scab of the umbilical cord was still there. Just found abandoned in front of a woman's house. He wanted to see that spot. And he he saw it. He wanted to see the orphanage. He saw it. He wanted to reenact some of the early photos of him and I... um, when he was before, he knew I was his dad. Yeah, he wanted to reenact those photos. That was just his. He wanted to have roots, and I realized how important that was for. Oh, what a hell of a story!
0: Yeah. What, what's his uh, What's his process now? I mean, is he Is he, he feel like uh, this is some big part of his his yeah. calling He's and so his heart pr- as well? He's so
1: proud of his story. He's, even as a kid. He <laughs> we we were back here in Colorado, and he saw a moving truck at a, a block over. And he said, Daddy, Daddy, I think there's a little boy that'll live there. And he was probably third grade. And I said, oh, cool. He goes, I'm going to go see him. And the moving truck was still there. And my son went and knocked on the door. And the family tells the story. They said he was so cute. This little boy says, hello, my name is River, and I live next door. I live across the wherever I live. And he says, I think there's a little boy that lives here. <laughs> and they said, yes, there is. He's unpacking his room. What is your name? My is River. He said, come in. We'll get him. And he goes, they tell us about yourself. He goes, I have a website. It's riverspromise.org. It tells you everything you want to know about me. One day I walked into a school in about fourth or fifth grade, and the guy, that, the counselor there, was, she said, Mr. Lakey, I love talking to River. I'm like, she goes, oh, we talk almost every day. I'm like, oh, my Lord, I, I missed something. I should have had him in therapy, not me. I don't know. And she goes, no, 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 it's great. She says he's kind of figured out he can get out of class and says he has to go get <laughs> talk to the counselor. He's already learned the, he's working system. the system. He's working the system. And I said, "Well, system. what is he talk about?" Is everything okay? She goes, "No, it's great. He tells me about Africa. He says he's raising money for shoes and that I need to go to his website riverspromise.org and give some money for shoes." So he 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 knows the story. He owns the story our houses. Covered with photos of him in the orphanage, and
0: ah, what an amazing story! Like, I, you know, it was when I first got introduced to you. I, I'm like, all right, yeah, this guy's a conservative host. You know, this is pretty cool. Guy knows a lot of famous people. It's pretty cool." I hear this story, and th- this is what warms my heart. This is the stuff that I think means everything. I mean, you can be on TV, have all the money in the world,
1: but if you if you, if you don't have somebody close to you that you love, what what's the point in all yeah. of it, right? if you don't leave the world a better place, I mean, you can know all the famous people. I mean, I talk every day, four hours a day, television show. You know, if we're cooking in the kitchen for the television show, making a chicken fried steak is not really going to change anybody's <laughs> life or right. whatever. Meeting the blue-haired lady at the radio thing. <laughs> you know, I might make a small dent, persuade somebody to start thinking politically right. But literally, we save lives in Africa. Yeah. I mean, that's... I don't get to do as much as I want, but you know, talking and blabbing on the radio as much as our egos would like to think we're really changing the dynamic. <laughs> no, generally we're preaching to the choir and ticking some other people off, and that's it. <laughs> it's it's not like it's a Billy Graham crusade. So I see that hand at the end of the radio show. Well, how many of you converted today? It doesn't happen that way. There's not an altar call at the end of it. It's just somebody's mad, somebody's happy, somebody loves me, somebody hates me. We make we go on the television show. We cook in the kitchen. We go on a trip. Okay, people are entertained, but well, here's the deal. Because uh, I caught on, you, you've said Rivers Promise like forty times.
0: Um, it's really good and immune system. <laughs> you plugged that really well, but I need you to go a little further. Tell me everything about Rivers Promise. Can people people go on to this? It's a, their way of, yeah, of also a, making a huge. So we're five
1: hundred one c three, fully tax deductible. Uh, there's a couple of things people can do. They make a. They, we're building a school now. 1,500-seat um, campus in the next five years is our goal. COVID has slowed us down a little bit. Uh, we're going to one of the poorest parts of Rwanda, building a school that will be state-of-the-art. Every government in the area is begging us, please bring your school here. I said, no, we're going to where the kids were naked and had no school. That's where we're building ours. They're amazed. Yeah. They're like, oh, no one does that. I'm like, I know, but we're going to do it that way. Uh, people would give towards our school. People can actually sponsor a child. You can just look. There's kids that um, don't go to school. Eh, we're really bad. Sometimes they lose a sponsor, and we keep them in there out of the general fund, and I can't take the kid out of school. <laughs> right. The board is going, Jimmy, it doesn't work. I'm saying, it doesn't matter if it works. We're a nonprofit <laughs> and definitely are a nonprofit. So, but there's, there's ways to do RiversPromise.org is the website. There's sponsorship. There's golf tournament. There's events and stuff. Or I could even come speak to somebody's group and tell the story.
0: Yeah, I, I want to do that. I want to really promote this. This is such a great, such a great heartwarming story.
1: Did, uh, can people adopt through there? You, uh, no. Rwanda is still kind of strange. Um, Rwanda changed their rules and the goal was to get a call. I had a couple of other kids that I really had my eye on. They were, they were my babies. I still take care of them over there. Uh, but Rwanda changed all the rules. River was uh, almost like a miracle. He's the last kid that was approved. Not the last kid that got out, but the, had got that signature that was so hard to get yeah. before they shut down the system and said, we're going to agencies. And so it's taken a Almost a decade for them to kind of get, and so I think they're getting their adoption program going. And there's some agencies now that are mentioning Rwanda, but I don't know if they're really up and going yet. They shut it down for a while.
0: That's like that divine intervention, man. It's what makes this story amazing. Because I read that all in the article. How much money does it take to to really
1: help these kids? We send a kid to school thirty five bucks a month. Thirty five bucks a month that pays their tuition, that pays their school fees, that gives them a school uniform. And that also uh, every month we give what we call basic amenities. It may be bars of soap, it may be a bag of rice and beans. So thirty-five bucks a month uh, is kind of where we've been, been there forever, and we keep we look at it every year and say let's bump it to forty because it's we eat a little bit on it, but it's still I'm like now let's keep thirty-five because it's, it's a focal point. Thirty-five bucks a month does that, which totals four hundred and twenty dollars a year uh, to sponsor to sponsor a kid. And we've got other things we do. You can build a house for a widow. We, we built houses. Well, we found out that there were, a lot of the kids were homeless in this area. They're orphaned, or their moms were homeless. And I'm like, where do they live? And literally, they took me to a stack of banana leaves. And I said, that's where they live. Under banana leaves, yeah. And then I went to one guy's house, and I said, where's your house this time? Because they took me to his house. It was a hut. Literally, it was just a hut. And they said, it's at the bottom of the hill. Every time they get monsoons, it washes their mud huts away. So they're constantly either rebuilding or homeless. So they just sleep under banana leaves. Most of the kids in that area used to die before the age of three. If yeah. you, if you, did, if you, But when we came in, we totally changed it by buying them blankets and building houses. So we would found a widow or a mom that only one or two chi- children of those widowed. And some of them were old, some were young. And we'd build them a house, a four-room house. Cost us $3,500 to build a house. Nice house, stucco home. They, they always say, oh, I live like a white person now. They, it's like a mansion to them. And they live there. They always bring kids in to live with them and take they raise them as a family unit. And we can build a house for 3,500 bucks um, metal roof occasionally, <laughs> occasionally after a few years, about a decade later, I said, don't we have a warranty on that roof? I had to replace the metal roof. That wasn't in the budget. I'm like, okay, there is a lifespan. Probably not, a lot, not,
0: not a lot there. of warranty work over there. Not a lot of warranty work over there. Although they're probably calling them still yeah. being like, hey, you, have your warranty on your car expired? Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I got that call over there. Hey, Mr. Papa Papakazungu, your warranty has expired on your hot. <laughs>
0: I said, okay. Well, I tell you what. People can accuse you of of being conservative. Probably, I'm sure asses come up a time, but they can't say you don't have a heart. What an amazing, amazing story! I uh, I don't like to infringe on anything, but I I would love to run run river on the story. Yeah, uh, I just think it's amazing, and and uh, he's I much t- more
1: mellow than me. He'd be like, mm.
0: <laughs> well, he's young. You know, we all have that teenage kid. right? Yeah, the teenage I mean, kid. You you, you got to break through some way, but. I, oh, man, this was, in, this was wildly entertaining for me, and I knew it was going to be. Um, Producer Chad talked you up. A lot of other people talked you up. I appreciate you coming on our show, and I hope people look at this River's Promise and donate. I know I'm going to. I it's kind of cool.
1: Anybody, if, if somebody wants to go with us, that we can't adopt, really. We don't facilitate that or even know the connections anymore. But we once or twice, once we're through these travel restrictions, we take groups over there, and I guarantee you it will rock your freaking world. It will blow your mind first of all rwanda is the most safest safest place on the continent of africa now even though there was a genocide there years ago yeah safe walk the streets great food wonderful place beautiful people and we we lead tours over there if somebody ever wants to go along
0: and you know what what a great perspective i think americans need a a different perspective Mm -hmm. um we're 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 pretty spoiled pretty rotten here we need a perspective
1: you want you want to get your teenager right Take them over there. Yeah, right? I mean, really, it ought
0: ought to be a mandatory trip, right? I always say military and probably a mandatory trip like that. But again, thank you for coming on my show. Uh, I look forward to being on your show next week. Thank you. And uh, (laughs) We're going to talk immune systems. (laughs) That's right. And we'll talk immune systems. Thank you once again for coming on my show.
1: Thank you. You bet.